Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I thank Pastor Redland for giving me this opportunity today. It's my honor to speak to you. 1 Peter 1, we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. They'll come up on the screen as well as we consider the topic, love for our unseen Savior. Love for our unseen Savior. And you'll see that in the passage. Would you follow along as I read 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9? Peter speaking, uh, writing a general letter to all believers, says, Whom, having not seen, you love. He's addressing believers in the first century in the Roman world. Who, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Whom having not seen, ye love. Love for our unseen Savior. It was 1988 here at PCC. It was the first day of my second senior year. Don't ask, okay? It was the first day of my second senior year, and I met Stacy Ashmore, who would become my future wife. Now, it didn't take me long to realize this is the one. This is the one. She didn't know she was the one. If she would have known she was the one, she might have run for the gate uh, there initially. But I had to graciously and slowly prepare her for life with me. And that was going to take a process of time and a lot of prayer and uh, Swiss cake rolls. And, uh, so, and that's how we started on our first date, Coke and Swiss cake rolls. Good combination. That was my hook, and it worked. It worked. And then... Uh, and we, one date led to another date, and we, we got to know each other and learned to love each other. And uh, then we were married in 1990. So here's the question this morning. We couldn't have loved each other unless we met each other, right? Isn't, isn't sight uh, a necessity, a prerequisite for love? Don't you have to meet the person? See the person to love them? This passage says that we can love Jesus even though we haven't seen him. And we should. In fact, this is the essence of the Christian life. To love Jesus whom we haven't seen physically. Jesus, when he was summing up the spirit of the law of God, said this in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. He said... Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. That's the essence of the Christian life. To love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now you might read that, that expectation that Jesus gives and say, man, that's just, that's just unattainable. We might balk at that notion and resist that because it seems so unreal. How can I love Jesus with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? It's not unreal. It is attainable. Jesus would not ask us to do this if we could not by his grace and through the Holy Spirit. So this morning we're going to learn what that takes from this short passage. We're going to learn 
about loving our unseen Savior. First of all, I want you to notice from the passage, we're going to look at three statements. First statement, statement number one, love for Jesus is possible. Love for Jesus is possible. Look at verse 8 again, just the first phrase. He says to these believers, whom having not seen, ye love. I want to commend you for your love for Jesus. I want to commend you for your love for Jesus, whom you haven't seen. And so right there, in the first part of the verse, we see that love for Jesus is possible without physical sight. Why? Because like theirs, our, our love for Jesus is built by faith. It's built by faith. You see, faith is the spiritual ability to see the unseen. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, the faith chapter in the Bible says that faith is the evidence of things not seen or unseen. It's the evidence of things that we can't see. Going on in that passage, in Hebrews 11 and verse 3, we see that faith precedes understanding. Notice the equation there. And faith comes first before understanding. Look how it reads. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Through faith we understand that God spoke the worlds into existence. We can't come to that understanding without faith. No one was there when God spoke the worlds into existence. No one was there. None of us were there. At the beginning of the, of the world, of the, of the created earth and the universe. Well, then how do we believe that? We believe it by faith. And by faith, we come to a degree of understanding about this. Hey, listen, if you have, if you have to understand it all to, to, to put your faith in God and his word, you're never going to come to that place. You're going to be severely disappointed. Now, God has a reasonable faith. God, God, has, God has given us reasonable points of verification. We look at the created world and we say, we say, wow, I see the handprint of God. There's beauty, there's order, there's morality, there's intricate design. There has to be an infinite personal God. That's the only explanation that makes sense. And so we see the revelation of God in creation and then we have his word. And so we say, I, I, I look in the Bible and I see a credible revelation. I see in the Bible the presentation of a being who only has the character and credentials to be the creator God. I don't see that in any other religious revelation, supposed revelation. I only see that in the Bible. A being who has the character and credentials to be the creator God. And so, what do we do? We, we take that revelation that we were given, even though we weren't there at the beginning of the world's, we take the revelation, we believe it to be reasonable and reliable, and we put our faith in it. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. You see how it works? I've never been to Hawaii. I've never been there. I want to go, okay? I'm just putting that out there. I want to go. Stacy and I, Stacy and I, for one of our anniversaries, we're making plans and we were just starting to make plans, kind of dreaming somewhat to go on our anniversary. And it just uh, immediately uh, plans went awry and it didn't work out. But I've seen pictures of Hawaii. I've talked to people that have been to Hawaii. In fact, I have a friend who goes to Hawaii all the time. And he comes back and tells me about it. And I go, awesome. I'm so happy for you. I really am. 
Thanks for telling me once again about your trip to Hawaii. So I've never been to Hawaii, but uh, the revelation I have, I believe reliable. I believe my friend, the pictures I see, I have no reason to discount that. And so even though I haven't been there, I'm going to get there. Even if it's in the kingdom, I'm going to get there. Just putting that out there. Okay. But uh, when I do, when I do arrive in Hawaii, then faith will turn to sight. But until then, I rely on reliable revelation. And that's what we do when we come to our faith in God, to our faith in his word, to our faith in Jesus Christ and all that he did for us. And that's what our love for Jesus is built on. It's built on faith. And faith doesn't need sight. In fact, if you have sight, you don't need faith. Because it's the evidence of things unseen. And since we can have faith through the word of God and the revelation of God, we can come to a place where we love Jesus. We can come to a faith that builds a love for Jesus even though we haven't seen him. Now I will admit this is one of the great challenges of the Christian life because we are so bound by our senses. But our growth in godliness and our growth in Christian service depends on it. We have to see Christ by faith and learn to love him. That fuels our service. That keeps us from this wicked world and loving this wicked world. We are what we are and we do what we do to the degree that we're able to see Christ by faith. Christianity is about Christ. You'll notice in the passage that it's not necessary for us to see to believe. Look at this, how it reads, Whom having not seen you love, ye... He's talking to people who had never seen Jesus in his physical form. They'd never seen Jesus on earth. Now he doesn't say we. He says ye because Peter had seen Jesus. So he was talking to people that had not seen Jesus. They were not living in Palestine at the time. Or maybe they were one generation away. They just missed, they just missed it. They just missed seeing Jesus. But he said you still believe in him. Many who saw Jesus did not believe in him, though. Think about this. You might say to yourself as you're considering this this morning, if I could just see Jesus like Peter, well, that, that would be enough for me. I, that, would, that would fuel the faith that, that I need. Once again, faith, is, faith doesn't need that. Faith, faith is a void of sight. Once you see something, it's, it's no longer necessary. But you might say to yourself, boy, I'd be much stronger as a Christian if I could just see Jesus if I could just see him, if I, if I could go back in time and, 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 and if I was there at the birth of Jesus, I could be one of the shepherds or if I was there during one of the miracles, like when Jesus fed the 5,000, if I was in the crowd, boy I, boy, I would be a strong Christian today. If I was there at the death of Jesus, if I was there at the resurrection of Jesus, I would be, I would be so strong as a believer today. But why is it that many of the people who were there did not believe. Many of the people who did see Jesus, did see the miracles, were there after the resurrection, did not believe in Jesus at all and certainly didn't love Jesus. Why is that? Well, let me, let me propose a few things. First of all, because his, his physical appearance on earth was that of a common man and I think this was confusing to some. There was nothing in his physical appearance to indicate that he was God. 
Jesus didn't have a white robe and everyone else had a brown one. I see that in presentations today. I know what they're doing. Uh, they're, they're trying to, you know, that's Jesus in the picture. Uh, I understand that. But Jesus has a white robe. Everyone else has brown ones, okay? And his is, his is pristine. It's clean. No, it wasn't that way. Jesus wore what everyone else wore. He didn't have this glowing orb around his head. Jesus was a normal, a normal Jewish-looking person. He, he had that Mediterranean skin. He looked like everybody else. He dressed like everybody else. If he were to walk in the room today with, with modern clothes, we, we would, we'd say, well, here's a guy from Pensacola coming to church. You say, well, yeah, I understand that. He, he didn't look like God, but he veiled his glory, and I think that was confusing to people. They were expecting God in a more glorious form. You say, well, what about the miracles, Pastor Zach? What about the miracles? All those miracles he did. Well, D Jesus did say, I did do these miracles to show who I am. But some of them were done in private. Some were not as easy to discern. And all of them were outside the realm of normality. And so it's easy for us as humans to seek some natural explanation to appease our finite mind when we see something that might be outside the norm. Uh, normal and that's what I think happened to these people many of those people that were there and saw everything did not believe in Jesus we tend to reject that which we cannot comprehend everybody hold your place in first Peter let's go to John chapter 20 John chapter 20 even his disciples had a challenge with this and we know Judas betrayed him in the end, and then other disciples had, had challenges with this issue of believing in Jesus. Look at John 20 and verse 29. Thomas, we know, had, had, a, had a big challenge with this after the resurrection of Christ. John 20, verse 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have seen not seen and yet have believed. Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and believe. And that's all of us here this morning who believe in Jesus. He's speaking of all of us. God is looking down through the centuries to all believers and he's saying blessed are those who believe without seeing. You don't need faith, excuse me, you don't need sight for faith. You don't need sight for love. Do you think Fanny Crosby loves Jesus or loved Jesus? She's passed and is in heaven now and she has seen him. But she was the famous blind hymn writer. She wrote 9,000 hymns. She was blind. Talk to a blind person. Ask them if they believe they can, they have the ability to love. They can love without sight and Fanny Crosby loved Jesus she wrote 9,000 hymns including blessed assurance Jesus is mine she wrote safe in the arms of Jesus saved by grace and I shall see him face to face how many martyrs were tortured down through the centuries do you, you, you think they Love Jesus. In fact, Peter is speaking to people 
who would be tortured and persecuted and killed in the first century. Many of them were taken to Colosseums and they were eaten by lions in front of the crowds who were cheering as they were, as they were killed. Do you think they loved Jesus? Of course they did. How about many missionaries who have left their, the comforts of home to go to distant lands? Do they love Jesus? Of course they love Jesus. And if Fanny Crosby can love Jesus, she's blind. If martyrs can love Jesus and missionaries can love Jesus, you and I can love Jesus. Peter says here, you love Jesus and you haven't seen him. And it's possible then for us today. I want to present that at the start. Everyone in the room can love Jesus. Everyone here can have a deep, profound passion for Jesus. If you want it, you can have it. Let's go to the passage. Go back to the passage. We see that love for Jesus is possible. Love for our unseen Savior is possible. Second of all, I want you to notice, and I know these are simple points, but they're right there in the passage. Love for Jesus is personal. It's possible and it's personal. Let's keep reading, verse 8. Whom having not seen, you love. There it is. It's possible. In whom, would you circle the word in, in your Bible, in whom, though now you see him not yet believing. In whom. That little word in is important because it's in Jesus, Peter says, that they loved him and believed in him. We don't have a belief or love of Jesus or about Jesus. It's not the historicity of Jesus that we believe in. It's not the notion of Jesus that we believe in. Our belief in Jesus is personal, not propositional. It's personal. It's in Jesus. The essence of who he is. Not just about Jesus. Not just about Jesus. Not the facts about Jesus. Not the historical Jesus. Not the concept of Jesus. It's possible to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And it starts with faith in him. Albert Barnes says this, there is every reason why we should love him. His character is infinitely lovely. We don't need some physical appearance. True love seeks the essence of a person. Looks may attract us in a human sense to a person, but it can't, that can't uh, sustain love. But when we get to know the essence of a person, that's when we truly love a person. And we love Jesus because we learn about his character through the word. We don't have to see him to adore him. We learn about who he is, his essence, his character from the Bible. And that's how we learn to love him. In fact, the Christian life starts with this. Say with me John 3.16 if you know it, okay? Let's say it out loud, the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3.16, here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting. That's where the Christian life starts. Whosoever believeth in him. Not about him, in him. In him. I don't know how you got saved. I would assume you got saved the same way I got saved. We might have different stories about the actual situation. I was nine years old. You might have been younger or older. But all of us that are believers and saved from the eternal penalty of sin this morning, all of us that have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in this room, it all started the same way. It all started the same way. We, be, we, we became convinced 
through God and his word that we were lost sinners, that we had broken God's moral laws. And the Bible says we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. In heaven there is no sin. If you, if, if you could go to heaven with sin, you would taint heaven. And so we all stand condemned before God and we will miss out on heaven in the state we're in. One, all it takes is one sin to keep you from heaven. And the truth of the matter is we've broken God's moral law multiple times. All the time we, we break God's moral law. And so we stand condemned before God. And the Bible says we come to that understanding and we repent. We change our mind about our sin. We see it as exceedingly sinful and deserving of hell. We come to that through the word. The Holy Spirit convicts us through the word. Somehow you heard the word. I heard the word. I heard the gospel. And then we learn that Jesus is God. And he came to this earth and he lived the perfect life. He met the standard. And he died on the cross pulling all of the pains of hell into his body as he died on the cross. Being the eternal God he could do that and he pulled the pains of hell for every person on himself. Was separated from his father. Was beaten and bruised. And he died on the cross in an act of ultimate love. And we heard that and we learned that. And as we turn from our sin, we turn to the Lord and we, we see his beauty, his love for us. And a child can do this. And we, 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 are, we become convinced about who he is and what he did. And we get that from the word. And we put our faith in him. And that's where our relationship with Jesus started. Faith in him. It's in him. It's personal. It's personal. It's not just religion. It's a relationship. You've heard that before. If all you have is religion, you're not going to heaven. Because many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do wonderful works in your name? And he'll say, I never knew you. I don't have a personal relationship with you. It was all religion with you. I have no personal relationship with you. See, those that start this process of a personal relationship, those that begin this through salvation, then begin to develop this by including God in their daily life. They prioritize him. They learn about him through the word. They pray for his guidance. They listen to him through the word and through the Holy Spirit of Christ in us. They develop deep relationships in the church, which is his body. They, they, as they pray, they look for him to work in providential ways. And when he does, they say, that's Jesus. Jesus did that. That's a God thing right there that happened. There's no human explanation for what just happened. That was God in my life. And no longer... No longer is he a name on the page to that person. They have a real, vital, personal relationship. And they walk with him. And they talk with him. And they know him. Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? I ask you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Is it just religion with you? Or do you have a personal relationship as we see his character in the word we learn that he created us he died to redeem us 
We see that his character presents the best of humanity and the glories of God. We're awed by his wisdom. We're blessed by his promises. We see his matchless, majestic character, which incites love, greater love. We see his humility, his holiness, his grace, his mercy, his justice, his purity, his compassion, his submission, his kindness, his faithfulness. And our love grows. However, once again, because we're so bound by our senses, we, we struggle with this. And this, by the way, is accentuated by the fact we're in a, such a technological age full of media and visual stimulation. I really believe this. In fact, I looked this up, and this is shocking to me. The Nielsen Company, which does Nielsen ratings for media, did a 2018 survey. It's called their Total Audience Report. And they said the average American consumes... 11 hours of media a day. Television, radio, internet, social media. Uh, now, I would have, when I read that, and by the way, there's some studies, later studies, that show that has, has increased to half a day. I said, that can't be true, except that many of them are doing that at work, which we understand is part of their work, but 11 hours a day. I would assume that Christians would spend far less, especially on secular media. But folks, if we spend all of our time or most of our time consuming that and not God's revelation, we spend very little time in God's revelation, no wonder we have a lack of love for our Savior. You have to know him to love him. So after that first date with Stacy, I, I couldn't wait to be with her. And we, I was with her all the time. We'd, we'd go to the library and she would study. And I would just sit next to her while she was studying. Hoping that some of that would come over to me. I just wanted to spend every second I could with her. You say, Pastor Zach, that's not possible with the Lord. Folks, we can get up and prioritize him in the morning. We can talk to him all day. We can talk to him all day. You don't have to just have devotional time and that's it. Well, that's my time with the Lord and I don't have any other time with the Lord. No. He's with us all the time. And we walk with him and we talk with him. And this pure love develops that's not hindered by sensual stimulation or false perception. A personal, real, vital, growing relationship with Jesus. So number one, it's possible. Number two, it's personal. Number three, it's powerful. Look how this ends, okay? Look how it ends. Whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. This is is amazing. This faith that produces love for our unseen Savior results in joy, unspeakable, indescribable, full of glory. A, a, A joy that goes beyond words to describe it. I tried to, in my notes here, think of some ways we could we could just try to try to relate with this. It would be like the joy of holding your baby for the first time. Or your grandchild for the first time. It'd be like the joy of being a spouse of a military person who's been on the battlefield. And then they come home and you're reunited. And you see those families and they run to each other on the tarmac. 
It'd be like the joy of winning a championship game in overtime. It'd be like the joy of graduation. Some of you are going to experience that soon. Don't worry, it's going to come, okay? And these kind, of, these kind of experiences in life, you can't describe. Try to describe that. You can't. You just have to experience it. It's indescribable. And this goes beyond that. This goes beyond that. In fact, we can have this kind of joy even in the midst, this deep joy that's indescribable and full of glory. We can have this in the midst of life's most severe trials. These people were going to be persecuted and tortured, many of them. We can have this in the midst of life's trials. My best description of joy is this. It's a warm glow of gladness in our spirit despite our circumstances. It's a warm glow of gladness despite our circumstances. And that doesn't even come close to describing it because it's indescribable. This faith and love for our unseen Savior produces this powerfully in our life. And not only that, look at verse 9. We receive the end of our faith, even the salvation of our souls. What we're speaking of makes verse 9 so exciting because verse 9, you'll notice, speaks of salvation not as a future prospect but a present one. Both believing and receiving, those two words in the passage are present participles. The goal of the, or the end of our faith is this glorious joy that frees our soul in the present. That's what he's saying. That liberates our soul in the present. Albert Barnes said it this way, they even now had such peace and joy in believing that it furnished undoubted evidence that they would be saved and such that it might be said that even now they were saved. The condition of one who is a Christian here is so secure that it might even now be called salvation. And Peter assumes that all these believers have this experience. He doesn't say you should rejoice He said, you rejoice because you have love for your unseen Savior and faith that fuels it. You do rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving now the end of your salvation, the redemption of your soul before You experience the redemption of your body. That comes later. But you're saved now. And you know it. Because you have this. Which begs the question to all of us this morning. Do we have this kind of assurance and joy. Which is the trait of true Christianity. Do you have this kind of assurance and joy. Which is the hallmark of genuine Christianity. A love of Jesus that powerfully produces joy. More powerful than the darkness. In verse 6 he said these people were in heaviness through manifold temptations. He's not saying there wouldn't be dark days and sadness and grief in the Christian life. But he's, he's saying there's something inside of you more powerful that's shining through. And if it's shining through this joy unspeakable and full of glory, you know you're saved. You know you're saved. You're saved. You're saved. 
Alexander McLaren in his commentary said this, there's nothing else in the world parallel to that strange, deep personal attachment which fills millions of hearts to this man who died 19 centuries ago, now 20 centuries ago. To love on unseen is a paradox which is realized only in relation of the Christian soul to Jesus Christ. I ask you this morning, do you have that deep personal attachment to Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? The hallmark of true Christianity. Do you love Jesus? You say, Pastor Zach, I struggle. There's other affections in my heart. But I love Jesus. Deep down inside. I love Jesus. You're saved. If you have this assurance based on true salvation in Jesus Christ, not trusting religion, not trusting yourself, trusting in him alone, in him, and it has produced this assurance and joy, then, then you're one of those millions with a deep attachment to Jesus. Many of these believers that Peter was addressing were about to be severely persecuted, persecuted tortured, and killed. How would they survive? They had a faith that was proven and tested in the fire, which produced a love for the unseen Savior, resulting in inexpressible joy that freed their soul. That's how they survived. And the question for all of us this morning is, do we have that? Do we love Jesus? It's as if Jesus is sitting down with all of us this morning, like he did with Peter. And he's asking us from his word. He's speaking to us today and he's asking us, do you love me? Do you love me?